0: So the first reading today is from Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The second reading is from John chapter 15, and we'll be reading verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you.
1: Thank you, Lewis, so much. And uh, welcome once again. Good morning. Um, a special welcome if you've slipped in since we began. It's really, really good to be together. Um, we are beginning a couple of weeks thinking about friendship. So, everyone's hands ready. So, no one told you life was going to be this way. There we are. Look at that. I knew it wouldn't bomb. Excellent. <laughs> One of the most popular TV shows of all time, isn't it, friends? Uh, the series finale in 2004 was the most-watched TV episode of the 2000s. It's a cult classic and iconic period of TV history, 1994 to 2004, 10 seasons. And it was assumed that it was one that actually, though it was great, it wouldn't age particularly well. So you might know a few years ago, Netflix started airing it in 2018, and millennials who hadn't seen it before were a bit shocked by its dated comedy and uh, storylines that didn't really match up with today's ethical um, big issues. But apparently, that wasn't the majority view. Uh, Netflix paid Warner WarnerMedia $100 million to keep it for another year, and it had a huge resurgence in popularity. It's coincided with a bit of a um, resurgence of 90s fashion, hasn't it? Which blows my mind. Um, but the main thing, I think, is the obvious fantasy of belonging to a group of six very funny and very beautiful friends who somehow live in very beautiful big apartments whilst hardly doing any work. <laughs> Sounds pretty great. But the most obvious, glaring reason why I think it's so enduringly popular has surely got to be very simply friendship. We long for friendship, don't we? Close and constant friendship and maybe more so now than ever, actually, as our world gets more and more digital, more and more digital communication replacing face-to-face communication, which they seem to be blissfully unaware of back in the 90s. Well, it was genius marketing, wasn't it? Tapping into a longing that seems impossible to fulfill. David Schwimmer, who played Ross, said that it's a fantasy for a lot of people, having a group of friends who become like a family. Or does it feel like a fantasy for you? We're all different, aren't we? But in various ways, I think it can certainly feel like good friendships are an elusive idea. They, they escape us. It seems so hard. And so today we're thinking about why. The elusive call of friendship. What that is why it's so hard. And then next week, it's going to be more positive and very practical. The excellent gift of friendship. Why it's so good and how we do it. So I'm aware this morning that some of us, however we present on the outside. We are actually deeply lonely. And maybe no one knows actually how lonely you are. Others of us, if we're honest, are a bit lazy when it comes to friendship. We're happy for others to serve us, but we don't have much motivation to serve others. Some of us are obsessed with our friends. They define us and our happiness. Others of us are overloaded by friendships, the innumerable WhatsApp chats are a constant background uh, to our minds, and we feel impossibly thinly stretched like we're letting everyone down. turns out this is quite a complex topic. It touches on pretty complex and sensitive issues of our hearts. A couple of hundred years ago, the bishop and writer J.C. Ryle said that friendships halve our sorrows and double our joys. That's quite a claim, isn't it? Do you fancy seeing if that's true? If this gift really can halve your sorrows and double your joys. Well, God's word has much light to shed on why friendship is so hard and why it's so good. So let's pray together that God would help us this morning. Lord God, please show us your wisdom, your good and loving way for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to benefit a lot today and next week from the book of Proverbs. And um, as Lewis read for us, you may have noticed that these writings give us wisdom and insight. They show us big picture general truths about how God's world works and how to live in it well. Wisdom, if you like, is the art of living well, living with the grain of how God has made the world. And this speaks into the complexities of our world. Because our world has many good things, doesn't it? And our hearts as well. But at the same time, they have many troubling things. There's order from God and there's disorder in the world and in us. And so to understand friendship better, we need to consider our confused world. Our confused world. And do follow along, if you like, on the back of the service sheets. Confused world. For 50 years, L'Oreal has been urging us to buy overpriced shampoo, because you're worth it. Uh, it's not a new idea. 450 years ago, Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet, this above all, to thine own self be true. Sounds very contemporary, doesn't it? Now, individualism, it, it can be a brilliant ideal, like in Hamlet, uh, calling for noble integrity, uh, whatever others may say, do the right thing. But more often, our world's individualism is a bit more shallow than that, isn't it? And with pampering and pleasing ourselves, uh, Oprah Winfrey says, the fullness of our humanity can be expressed only when we're true to ourselves. Wow. Do you really trust yourself that much? It's almost impossible to go against the flow of this torrent of self-obsession in the world around us. But if we're only considering ourselves, then we're never going to enjoy friendship, are we? And so here are these words of wisdom from Proverbs 18, verse 1. One who separates himself, seeks his own desire, he quarrels against all sound wisdom. You're going against the grain of creation to isolate yourself from others. To go with the grain of creation is to pursue others. To pursue friendship. Likewise, Ecclesiastes 4, we read, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The fool goes rock climbing alone. The fool does life alone. And so on the very opening pages of Scripture, we're alerted to one thing that is not good have you spotted this? God keeps saying, doesn't he, as he creates the world, fills it with form and wonderful things, uh, that it's good, it's good, it's good. But Genesis 2.18, God himself says it's not good for a person to be alone. God hasn't finished yet. After he creates Adam, that's not enough. We need each other. Adam needs company. He needs others. And so he makes Eve and gives her to him. Friends are a vital gift from God. And now you might think, oh, well, good for them, but Adam and Eve, they were married, weren't they? I mean, that's marriage. Well, I'm not married or, or my marriage is really hard at the moment. But it's not just about marriage. Friendship should be at the heart of marriage, but this can't just be about marriage. Why not? Because Jesus wasn't married and Jesus was the most perfectly complete human. He didn't marry, but he did have friends. John 15, he called his disciples friends. Sebastian Junger is an award-winning journalist and war correspondent. And in his book, Tribe, he observed, he observed this. He said, humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. This, of course, is why lockdowns, sensible or not, were so damaging to our well-being. And not only did they cut us off from others, they actually made us feel unnecessary. It communicated, people don't need you. They'll just have to get through this alone, and so will you. But we need each other. And so we, are also, we also need to be needed. God has made us, He's made the whole world interdependent. I've been really enjoying this book by Kelly Capiche, uh, Your Only Human. And he says this from the air we breathe to the water we drink, from our relationships, to our employment, from our minds, to our wills, everything about us points to our dependence on God, others, and the earth. We are dependent beings. Independence is not your pride. Nor is it the goal for your children. We're created to be interdependent. God alone is self-sufficient. So we live in a foolishly individualistic world. We also live in a very mobile world, don't we? Mobility. Now, I'm going to show off some pie charts that I've made. I'm quite proud of these. Bear in mind that I've not done any science since GCSE, okay? But I think pie charts are science. It, don't ask how long it took me to make these. But um, I think I got them right. Consider how our world has changed. Okay, um, in America, 1960, 77% of men—that's the big blue bit at the top—and 65% of, sorry, 77% women, 65% men completed all the following major transitions into adulthood by 30. Okay, they had left home, finished education, financially independent, married with children. So, vast majority of men and women. By 2000, look how the blue bit has shrunk. 46% of women had completed those transitions and 31% of men. The West is rapidly becoming a much less rooted, stable society. Plus, we're a hyper-connected and globalized world, and so we feel that our options in life are endless, we roam around trying new jobs, new partners, new homes, new churches. And that brings many blessings of opportunity. Yeah, I'm not saying, oh, let's go back to the good old days. There are many wonderful blessings of that. But it does have a shadow side, doesn't it? It's incredibly hard to settle, to commit, to have a home, to have stable relationships, to have a meaningful church family. It's obvious that relationships deepen exponentially over time, don't they? Since I'm all into charts today, here's an extremely complicated exponential growth chart. We've all seen them. And we know it's true, don't we? If we're constantly moving and starting again, the process of relationships and friendship has to start all over again. Well, into our extremely mobile culture, God's word speaks with timeless clarity. Proverbs 27. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. So interesting. I'd never seen this before until I started reading what Proverbs has to say about friendship. It's not diminishing family. The Bible has a far higher view of family than we do. Rather, it's elevating friendship, and especially a neighbor nearby. Hands up who grew up in southwest London. One, two, three. Seven or eight of us, maybe. Many of us will have friends scattered around from previous seasons of life. And we're thankful for them. But we need friends here, don't we? That verse speaks about when disaster strikes, where will you turn? And in the days before, video calls and fast transport, all you could do was turn to somebody nearby. You had to. But because of video calls and fast transport, we so easily forget this, don't we? The vital necessity of friends nearby. It's our natural tendency to get on a train and miss another weekend or another Sunday or pick up the phone and, and turn to that person from years ago. Now, again, those are wonderful blessings. But do you see the risk? If we're only ever turning to old friends who are far away, scattered all over the British Isles, we'll miss out on real, constant, deep, good friends right where we are. This is one of the many profound reasons why God gives us a church family. It's not just convenience. <laughs> No, we, we really are a family. We're doing life together in love, aren't we? We're following Jesus together, being shaped by his word together, week by week, seeing each other, growing in faith and hope and love as we repent and believe, as we struggle through hard things, as we visit each other, as we pray for each other, as we hug each other, as we laugh together, as we cry together. We're doing it together. And we're on mission together. You can't reach the lost in Balaam on your own, and nor can I. We need each other. God's Word speaks into individualistic world and mobile world. But we also need to be aware of our very sexualized world, our hyper-sexualized world. It, it sees everything through the lens of sexual desire. And this, obviously, marginalizes friendship. Here, Proverbs 22, verse 11... One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. It is possible to pursue purity of heart, and that will lead to excellent friendships. Not everything is sexual. But our world really struggles to believe this. Friendship and intimacy do not have to be sexual. In fact, they shouldn't be. Our world really struggles with this. In um, a really stimulating and provocative book, we Can't, Why Can't We Be Friends? Amy Birds helpfully draws attention to the old film When Harry Met Sally. You know that film, the classic rom-com from, from the 80s. And the heart of the plot is basically, as Harry says, how sex always gets in the way. It, the, the problem is that their friendship is constantly sort of made awkward and difficult by sex kind of lurking potentially in the air. This is the message of the world. And it even applies to close same-sex friendships. They often face the same charge. If they're intimate, they must be homosexual. The Bible has a much better way. Sex is a wonderful gift within the exclusive commitment and bond of marriage between a man and woman. But close and intimate friendship is a wonderful gift for all of us. I wonder if there's a particular challenge here for men. We're not always the most gifted relationally, are we, uh, to start with. And then in the church, there can be a really good concern for sexual purity, which can spill over into a, a slightly weird and unkind avoidance of friendship with people of the other sex. Even with other guys, somehow our culture's view of manhood doesn't leave much room for affection, and affirmation, and intimacy. But the Bible is full of men. Yes, flawed men, but impressive, manly men who weep when they have to part from each other. Whose souls are knit together, like Jonathan and David. Well, last issue of our confused world, busyness. I think I need to spend about zero minutes persuading anyone about busyness and its dangers. Occasionally, busyness is just unavoidable for a season. Um, but I wonder, if we each took an honest inventory of our hearts, what is really behind our busyness? Could it be caused by disorganization or overcommitment or people's unhelpful expectations? Tim Chester has written a really helpful book, on busyness. And he said this, the test you need to apply to your busyness is this. If it produces bad fruit, then it reflects the evil desires of your heart. We can spot idolatrous busyness because it will eventually cause harm in our bodies, our families, our churches, and our relationship with God. If your health, marriage, friendships, Christian service, or relationship with God are suffering because of your busyness, then you need to address the idols in your life. You need to identify the desires of your heart that make you try to do more than God expects of you. Sometimes busyness is the issue, but sometimes it's actually just the perception of busyness. I passed my neighbor the other day, I mentioned this last week at Dwell, and said, how are you? And he said, oh, busy as hell, but we all are, aren't we? It's just the, the assumption that if you're kind of doing anything worthwhile and respectable, you must be busy. Or what if we started telling a better story? Or what if we pursued a healthier approach to work and rest and life and relationships? What if we aimed to avoid and resist busyness so that we could actually love each other? Someone said to me on the phone just the other day, how are you? You must be very busy. Must I? <laughs> Why? Why? Maybe I give that impression, and I'm sorry if I do. I'm actually trying pretty hard to resist busyness. It's just our assumption, isn't it? But that busyness steals our attention span, it steals our presence with people, our true productivity, and our emotional energy to love people. Or well, here's Psalm 39, which is so refreshingly realistic about our brevity. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone's but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. We need to resist busyness to receive friendship. This is the world we live in. Anyone want to escape and start a monastery? It could be a good idea, but I'm afraid it probably won't help, actually, because really we need to wrestle with even bigger, heart, bigger issues in our hearts. And if we can begin to identify what's actually going on in our hearts and bring them to the Lord, then we are on our way to the possibility of good friendships. So we also need to think about our disordered hearts. These are the heart issues. Laziness. Friendships require love. Proverbs 12, the lazy do not roast any game. This will get you ready for your lunch. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. I love a Sunday roast, don't you? But you can't whip one up in a hurry, can you? You needed to start a couple of hours ago, or you're going to be very late for dwell this afternoon. The lazy wouldn't bother. Ah, oh, it's too much effort, it takes too long. And so they miss out. Do you remember the Guinness advert uh, voted the greatest ad of all time? It's called Surfer. The surfer waiting for the, the perfect wave. So dramatic. It was a picture. It was meant to be a picture of how you need to wait for the perfect pint of Guinness to be poured. 119.5 seconds. Good things come to those who wait. Now, of course, it's easier not to, isn't it? But if we don't bother waiting on good friendships, investing time and effort and cultivating them, they'll never grow or deepen. Proverbs 14, Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. Finding love and faithfulness in friendship requires planning. It requires a bit of effort taking the initiative, picking up the phone, going round to see them, putting it in the diary. Love is active. The great thinker C.S. Lewis wrote a brilliant set of essays, The Four Loves, one of which is friendship. And he said this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable so easy, isn't it, for our interactions with others and our relationships with others to be driven by a, frankly, lazy desire for what we can get rather than a generous concern for what we can give. Friendships require love over laziness. They also require honesty. Friendships need honesty over flattery I was in a coffee shop on Friday and there was a man there who was uh, getting pretty agitated um, his lawyer hadn't showed up for a meeting as I could tell because he kept telling people very loudly um, he would have stopped mouthing off to the shopkeeper he said this kind of thing makes me really crazy okay I mean it would be annoying wouldn't it it's always annoying for someone not to show up um, but then he got on his phone <laughs> it's very interesting and he clearly rang the guy um, he said something like this hi uh, I do hope you're well um, I was expecting to meet you, but it seems like you, you may have been held up by something. Um, perhaps you'll kindly give me a call. Thank you so much. Flattery. That's not what he was feeding in his heart at all. <laughs> Proverbs 26. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. I once read a brilliant definition of flattery and gossip, they're like flip sides of the same coin. Gossip is saying behind someone's back what you'd never say to their face. That's quite clear, isn't it? Flattery, then, is saying to someone's face what you'd never say behind their back. Makes you think again, doesn't it, about what we say to each other. Do we really mean what we're saying? Or are we just putting it on? I wonder if there are subtle ways that our experience of friendships is weakened by flattery and dishonest words. Now, obviously, it, it takes time, as, as I've been saying. We need to invest the time and expect the depth of the friendship to grow. But can we give each other permission to just be honest? I mean, the old how are you question, granted, it's a terrible question, but so easy to say on the outside, oh, yeah, pretty good, thanks. Nice big smile. Whilst inside, we're really pretty worried about X, Y, and Z, and we're really scared about A, B, and C, and feeling really concerned about D, E, and F. Friendships need honesty. Well, lastly, fear of man. Friendship requires fear of God. Now, the whole book of Proverbs, which we've been diving into a lot this this morning, um, begins with the keynote in Proverbs nine ten, which says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." We had it in chapter one as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now it helps us to understand what that means by considering fear of man. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, "Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe." So when the Bible says fear of man, it's not about terror. Uh, it's about an overestimation of the weight of people's opinions, elevating what people think over what God thinks. Well, the only solution is to redirect our attention to God. Whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Trust in the Lord is almost synonymous with fear of the Lord. To fear God is to be principally concerned about his holy and gracious presence, focusing on him. Rather than people and so proverbs 29 sorry proverbs 19 the fear of the lord leads to life then one rests content fearing god is a life-giving joy-giving thing but fear of man poisons friendships it means we can't really be honest we can't be open we're, we're desperately concerned about what they're thinking and so we can't really connect Brené Brown is a professor, lecturer, and author uh, focusing on shame and vulnerability. She kind of rose to fame because of a TED Talk back in 2010, The Power of Vulnerability. Um, 60 million views as of the other day when I checked. She said this, By the time you're a social worker for 10 years, what you realize is that connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. This is what it's all about. Neurobiologically, it's how we're wired. It's why we're here. Sounds a bit like Genesis 2, doesn't it? She goes on to explain how shame is the fear of disconnection. If others really knew me, well, then we couldn't connect. So the idea of vulnerability becomes excruciating. They'd see me. They'd really know me. But the secret to connection is vulnerability. By being open, honest uh, about our struggles, about our flaws. That's what paves the way for real connection and friendship. She admits herself that as she began her research, uh, she was proud and determined to control all the data that she discovered, and she hated the idea of vulnerability. She said this, Vulnerability pushed, I pushed back. I lost the fight. But probably won my life back. She's tapping into reality. She's tapping into wisdom. And this, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, this is actually why we have confession each week when we gather together. That we are a community defined by our shared vulnerability, our shared neediness of God's grace and forgiveness. It's profoundly humbling and uniting, isn't it? Every week. To come together and say in unison words, acknowledging our needs and our vulnerability and our brokenness. That is who we are. Church isn't self-help. It's where we discover hope and life together in Christ. It's when we're united to a, a joyful, hopeful, trusting fear of God that we're free from the fear of man. Well, we live in a confused world, don't we? It's individualistic, it's mobile, it's sexualized, it's busy. We live with disordered hearts, lazy, flattering, fearing others. And so friendship is an elusive call. It seems so good, but it's also so hard. And friends, the good news is that God's word is not just wisdom. Yes, it's wisdom. And it's also gospel. <laughs> Because if all we hear is the wisdom, it could be pretty crushing, couldn't it? We could leave this morning thinking, I'm oh, such a failure at friendship. But God's word is gospel. That is its good news about Jesus, the friend of sinners. He not only told us to love one another, he not only showed us how to love one another, he loved us. He loved us in the ultimate way, laying down his life for us. He paid on the cross for all our selfishness, all our pride, all our flattery, all our dishonesty, all our fear of man. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. He is the perfect model of friendship, which we'll explore more next week. And he is the perfect friend to us. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you call us your disciples, friends. We know that we fail in many ways and we live in a very broken world thank you for your perfect, faithful love for us. Please would you thrill us again with your love and with your good and beautiful design for us to love each other. Please strengthen us against all the, the challenges in our world and in our hearts. Please help us to be good friends. Amen.